I invite you to take your Bible now and join me in reading from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 18. I hope that you are enjoying the 40 days of prayer uh, devotion guide. There are several still remaining and you're welcome to pick one up. It's not too late to jump in. Um, this kind of like a merry-go-round. You just jump in anytime you want to and be a part of our 40 days of prayer. These devotions are written by people that we know from the Kentucky Baptist Convention, uh, folks that are on staff, and ministry assistants, if I might add, uh, Anastasia, who have contributed to the devotional guide. And uh, they are rich and they're good. A lot of good sermons in there. I may preach those one day. So jump in there anytime you can as we pray about reaching our community with the gospel, sharing the gospel with all of our neighbors. And uh, I know family and neighbors are the hardest folks to witness to. But what we're asking you to do is simply deliver the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and salvation. And uh, our job is to present the gospel, just share the gospel. And we're going to have a, a door hanger filled with uh, a DVD with the gospel story in it, uh, a brochure inside as well, and, and, and also a tract that's on the inside. And all you got to do is just give that to the person that comes to the door. And uh, it's real simple, but we must do it and deliver the gospel. As we read today in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18, uh, when I read this short passage of scripture, it reminds me of uh, a time when I served at Scott Air Force Base. I was an uh, Air National Guard assistant to the command chaplain there for the U.S. Transportation Command and Air Mobility C C Command. Those two were joined together there at Scott Air Base. And we had this called meeting by the four-star general. And when the four-star general says, uh, be there at 9 o'clock for a meeting, there's nothing else on your calendar more important than what the four-star general has to say. And evidently, there had been several accidents because people were not wearing their helmets when they rode their motorcycles. And that's a no-no. It was from that meeting I learned that if you do not wear a seatbelt or a helmet and you have an accident and you die, your family does not get your life insurance. That's how serious they are. And the general goes on to talk about safety and texting while you drive. And I'll never forget what he said about texting and driving. He didn't go to an elaborate speech. He didn't go on and on about the hazards of texting and driving. And he didn't throw out any statistics. He just stood there with his four stars on his shoulder and he said, just don't do it. That's all he said, and I will never forget it. It had a profound impact on me. Just don't do it. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18 says, You shall not commit adultery. Just don't do it. That's how simple this passage is. 
What's so hard about this passage? What's so difficult about this passage? Well, we live in a day when people are, are glamorized by the media and the, the, uh, the, the Kim Kardashians and the Britney Spears and all those people are on TV all the time and they seem to be the only heroes that we have on TV screen. And I want you to know that there are other heroes around you all the time. People who understand what it means to be a steward of covenant. Now God is serious about covenants. He is the God who keeps covenant. Now there's a difference in a covenant and a contract. A contract is something that two, two people enter into and uh, you do this and I'll do that and you do this and I'll do that. A covenant is a pledge of one's word. It is a pledge of one's integrity. Who I am is described in covenant relationship. Marriage is such a covenant relationship. And God takes covenants seriously. In fact, he is the covenant-keeping God. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant through Moses. He made a covenant with David. And that covenant was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ in our time. God kept his word. God kept his covenant to save us from our sins. Now, we have not kept covenant with God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we have not kept covenant, God has been compassionate and gracious toward us, understanding that we are frail and volatile to sin. And so he has considered through his mercy how he might keep covenant with us so that he might keep us. We serve a God who wants to keep us. I remember one time I was serving in the chaplain school, and uh, starting to attend the chaplain school, and um, I had a hard time because part of me was in Louisville at Parkland, and part of me was at chaplain school in Montgomery, Alabama. And I had this disorientation going on. And so I got checked out, and... and uh, I was dealing with some other issues that pastors deal with all the time. So I was in this state of mental confusion. And after I went through some diagnosis, I, I told the senior chaplain there, I said, I've been like this before, but I had pneumonia. And so they checked me out, and they said, you don't have pneumonia. But I tell you what, chaplain, while you're here this week, no homework for you. No homework. He said, you, you just come to class and uh, after class, you just walk around the grounds and you enjoy these three weeks at chaplain school. And then he said, we have invested a lot in you and we want to keep you. Nobody had ever told me as a pastor that we want to keep you. Nobody ever told me that. I, I was always hoping that, you know, this church would let me stay a little longer. And I wouldn't say any other dumb things from the pulpit that would hinder that. 
But he said, we want to keep you. That was like medicine to me. That was like a bomb of Gilead. That was, those were healing words from God to me. That God wanted to keep me. And the message to us today in this discussion we're going to have about covenant marriage is that God wants to keep you. And he wants to hold on to you. And he wants you to grow and learn how to relate to other people in a healthy way called community. And the specific community that he has in mind here is the covenant of marriage. Covenant marriage is a sacred covenant relationship. Marriage is a sacred covenant relationship. It is sacred because God said so. God said so. Much of what we have in the scripture, I believe, was written during the exile period to bring back to the remembrance of the Jewish people who were a long way from home. A generation had passed and they had lost touch with their, their rituals, their laws, their traditions. And in that recovery of all things godly and sacred, God brought up the idea of marriage. And so we have the book of Genesis, and we have this discussion about marriage in Genesis between one man and one woman. By the way, God has not changed his mind about that. God has not changed his mind about that. And so this marriage of one man and one woman is an institution that God created. It's not something the state of Kentucky and so you go to Kentucky to get the license. It's as old as Adam and Eve. And so God has created this institution, this sacred institution that should be honored by all. Jesus was asked about um, divorce and uh, uh, adultery and those kind of issues during his time. And, and Jesus goes back to the book of Genesis too. And he said, from the beginning of creation, this is God's ideal. God has established this ideal. God made them male and female. And for this cause, man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, when I counsel uh, young people who are getting married, I say, now, what this passage mean, means is, when you get married, move 90 miles from home. Why 90 miles from home? Well, 90 miles from home is just far enough away that when you all are having a difficult time, you can't go run to mom and dad all the time. Also, 90 miles from home is, is a good distance for grandparenting. You know, you can pick them up for a few hours and spoil them and then bring them back. It works out great. Not move 90 miles away. And you'll find that you're having to depend upon each other just a little bit more. God desires that every marriage covenant become holy like him, blessed by him, and be purposeful for him. Christian, your marriage, hear this, your marriage belongs to God. 
Let that sink in. Your covenant relationship where you stood before the pastor and you said, I do, to these vows that you made, that marriage covenant, that marriage relationship is not yours. It belongs to God. Now that's kind of a new way of looking at marriage. But that brings a lot of meaning into marriage and helps us understand why adultery is such a grave sin. Adultery, number one, is a sin against oneself. It is a sin against oneself. The adulterous person is filled with lies and self-deception and cover-up, having to tell more lies in order to hide what's been going on. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32 says, He who commits adultery has no sense. He who does it destroys himself. So adultery is a sin against oneself. It is also an assault against your marriage partner. You might as well take a board and hit your marriage partner with it. It is abuse, pure and simple. It is a violation of the vow of your word, your integrity, and your faithfulness. Trust and intimacy are violated. And so the covenant has been violated. And the reason, and the only reason, that Jesus gives for divorce is because of adultery. For that reason. But the, the, uh, the, the, the effects of it, the effects of adultery, is deep grief, depression, trauma, stress, anger, and countless emotions that have to be dealt with through counseling and intervention. Adultery is not only a sin against oneself and my word and my covenant with you, with another person, with the one we're married to, but it's also a sin against society. It causes a breakdown in the family. And when there is a breakdown in the family, hear this, there's something called societal regression. Societal regression. By that phrase, I mean society doesn't get better and better. It gets worse and worse. Life and times get more difficult and more difficult to live. And so there is a regression in society. You will see this all throughout the Bible. Uh, you, you would think that our children and our grandchildren... Uh, as they become adults and learn and know what they know, would make a positive contribution to society, and then their children would just automatically fall in line with that. And it doesn't work that way. It's as if every young generation has to learn what the older generation learned the hard way, that adultery destroys the family. And when it destroys the family... It, in, it destroys the fabric of society that holds us together. There is a pattern adultery follows. First, it's mental. Secondly, it's behavioral. 
First it's mental, and then there is a behavior that follows. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus says these words, You've heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his own heart. So it begins in the mind. Now let us ask ourselves, what are we watching? What do we see? What images are being input into our thought processes? We live in an age of pornographic media. I know I'm speaking pretty boldly this morning, and trust me, I'm just nervous as you are. We live in a pornographic media society. It is destroying men and women. It is destroying marriage. It is destroying love. The Bible teaches that there's no such thing as casual sex. There's no such thing. What is often called casual sex is very costly. Ask King David. He'll tell you from the Bible, 2 Samuel, what he went through as a result of his sin. Today we deal with sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancy, psychological scars, spiritual scars, trauma even, as the result of those images that are viewed and then acted out upon. That's why the Bible says, you shall not commit adultery. It's no good for you. It's no good for your loved one. It's no good for your family, and it's no good for your society. As the four-star general said, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Now let's take a positive turn here in our message today. The second point of our message is some steps to a fair-proof your marriage. Some steps to a fair-proof your marriage. All right, number one. Strive toward the biblical model of marriage. Strive toward it. Seek it. Pursue it. Commit yourself to the model that has been given to us in Scripture. Marriage requires a mutual sacrifice for mutual fulfillment. Compatibility in marriage grows through the hard work of serving each other. The husband serves his wife. The wife serves her husband. It's very clear from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that when he talks about the role of the husband and the role of the wife, he begins that discussion by using this little phrase, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I have dealt with people who read that passage and say, the wife submits to the husband. It does say that. And it also says, Wives, respect your husband. It does say that. But all of those are under the umbrella of submitting to one another. Think about marriage as a covenant picture of the gospel. 
Christianity asserts that Jesus himself gave himself to please the Father in acting uh, in, 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 the, in the character of love. In spite of our sin, he gave himself to redeem us. Likewise, we see each other's sins, but we love each other sacrificially. And that's why he says, men, love your wives. And then he just goes on and on and on, verse after verse after verse, of what loving your wife is all about. And then he says to the wives, respect your husband. See to it that you respect your husband. And out of that scripture came a book called um, um, Respect and Love. Respect and Love. If you can get a copy of that, there's also a website called Respect and Love. The one thing the wife wants is to know that she is loved. A great book has been written called The Five Love Languages. And uh, I, I encourage you to get that book if you've not read it, The Five Love Languages. It's, it's a great read. Uh, there are sequels to that work called The Five Love Languages of Children and so forth. Another great read that I would recommend, in fact, I ask all uh, young couples that are getting married, is called His Needs, Her Needs. His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley, H-A-R-L-E-Y. His needs, her needs. Um, if you forget the titles of that book, go on Facebook, watch the sermon. But let me repeat them one more time. Five Love Languages by, is it Gary Smaller? Gary Chapman? Gary Chapman. And the uh, reason I know is that we just ordered those for the, for the uh, young adult families. And then His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. Now, what these reads help us do is understand that I have a responsibility to make love deposits toward my spouse. I really believe that we all walk around with a love bucket. We all walk around with a love bucket. And um, we're looking for ways to fill up our love bucket. We are listening for messages that say, you are loved, you are respected, you are appreciated, you are welcome here. You belong. That's our love bank, our love bu bucket, if you will. But we can also make withdrawals from that love bank. When we put down others, when we use sarcasm in our conversations. Let me, let me share this with you. Just hang on to this. I know that for some families, kidding is, is, is healthy and good. But be careful that sarcasm does not become the language of your home or your house. Let me say it this way. Put-downs need to be put away. Now, wives, if you want your husband to clam up and distance himself from you and kind of go away, just put him down use some kind of sarcastic remark to, to put him down, especially in front of other people. He won't say anything to you. He won't communicate with you. He'll just quietly go away. Put-downs need to be put away. Sarcasm needs to be sacrificed and replaced with words of affection 
words of love, words of appreciation, words that say, you matter to me. You are important to me. And when you experience conflict, not if you experience conflict, but when you experience conflict, it's so healthy to, to, to say your perspective with the I messages. I sense this. I'm hearing that. This is what I see that's going on in our relationship. When you start out with you this and you that, what does the other person do? They build up a shield, and they don't hear anything else you say. So one of the ways of building an affair-proof marriage is to strive for this biblical model where both the husband and the wife are submitting to each other, making deposits in each other's love bank instead of withdrawals. Secondly, invest in the marriage bond. Invest in the marriage bond. Go on a marriage retreat. Read a book about marriage. His needs, her needs, five love languages. Invest in the marriage bond. Usually when um, a, young, uh, a man and a woman get married, they spend a lot of money on cake, spend a lot of money on um, uh, the gowns and the, and the uh, tuxedos, spend a lot of money on pictures. By the way, if you spend money on anything, spend it on pictures. Everything else goes away, and pictures is the only thing that, that's, that you know, stands the test of time. But little is considered about investing in the marriage after the wedding. All the money goes into the marriage ceremony and the celebration and all that takes place, and that's fine, but have you thought about investing in the marriage after the marriage. So read a book about marriage, attend a seminar about marriage, even if you have to do it online, or go to a marriage conference of some kind and um, make an investment in your marriage. All right, that's one way to affair-proof your marriage, make an investment in your marriage. And then, and then number three, Pursue your marriage mission. Your marriage has a mission. Your marriage belongs to God. And God has a purpose and a mission for your marriage. The greatest privilege in marriage is reflecting our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us and keeps covenant with us. One of the ways I help young couples understand this is to draw a triangle. At the head of that triangle is the Lord our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. At each post in that triangle is the man and the woman. The man and the woman relate to each other the best they know how. The best they know how. They, they don't know everything. They're learning as they grow. As they grow older, they're discovering more about each other. But in that marriage relationship, when we are in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive from Him the very love of Almighty God. And now we can share that love with each other. That sense of patience, 
that sense of understanding, that sense of uh, sacrifice, those, all that makes God good can be shared in the covenant relationship with each other. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. The key is your devotion to the Lord. Are you serving the Lord in your marriage? Are you serving the Lord through your marriage? When you do that, you find that life brings on a higher calling. When you do that, you begin to understand that this marriage is more than just our marriage. It is God's mission for my life. And when you are active in God's mission for your life, you are growing and maturing and um, being used of Almighty God. And nothing can bring you more joy than knowing that you are being used of the Lord. So, a fair proof your marriage by striving for the biblical model of serving each other, investing in the marriage bond by uh, participating in opportunities to get better acquainted with each other, and then pursue your marriage mission. Find out what it is and keep pursuing God's will for your life. Well, I pray this has been helpful for some. I pray that it has opened your eyes a little bit as a way of warning for some. Because Satan is out there trying to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's his will. That's his desire for you. That's why he came. That's why he died on a cross. That's why he gave his life for you. So today, during this invitation, I offer this opportunity to you. Our church, rather, offers this opportunity to you to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to surrender to him, to commit your life to him, and let him be your Lord and your Savior. And if you're ready to do that today, I ask you to just come and sit on the front row. We'll counsel with you. We'll pray with you. We'll help you make that decision for the Lord. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture today that's been very challenging. And in the times in which we live, Lord, um, it seems to always be applicable. Help us, Father, to be faithful to our covenants as you are faithful to us. Help us, Lord, to allow our marriages to be a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God enters into covenant relationship with us and does not break his promises. Give us strength, Lord, to uh, renew our covenant relationships that we might be a shining light of the gospel to a lost and dying world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You, too, can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. 
If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.